so glad you were here this morning. I want to welcome those, that, especially if you're new. Uh, we believe in worshiping God, but also having a good time and having fun. All that combined, you, you can do that. And if you're new, you joined us online, or you're watching this in the middle of the week, man, we're just so humbled and honored. Uh, maybe some of you in the middle of the night, right? You're, you're watching this. It's 2 o'clock in the morning uh, on Tuesday or Wednesday of this week. And, but for some reason or other, God led you to be a part of this body of Christ called Pathway and to allow us to join you in worship and in learning. And we're just humbled. If you're on the campus, I'd love to meet you. I'd love to connect with you. I'll be out in the crossing afterwards just to kind of say a short hello. And if you would allow that privilege and honor, I, I would really enjoy uh, just hearing you speak your name, and I'll speak mine and just ha have a word together. Uh, this morning, uh, we're going to be in the Bible in, in 1 Samuel. That's where we're going to start. If you want to go there, I, I invite you to do that. We're go, go to 1 Samuel. Uh, that's where we're going to be. We're going to do a lot of Bible work. We're going to do a lot of, some of you want to do some note-taking. I promise you, this is the morning, a lot of Bible work and maybe a lot of note-taking. So either on your phone or a piece of paper or whatever, you, you may want to do that. Uh, as a child growing up, one of my favorite kind of vacations was going to Washington, D.C., as an adult with my family and kids, one of my favorite vacations was going to Washington, D.C. I remember as a kid first going to D.C. and seeing the Capitol, uh, White House for the very first time. And boy, I was like, wow, this is so awesome to actually see uh, the Capitol and to see the White House. And then to walk down that, that, that mall and see all the monuments lined up around the mall. and all. If you've never been, I encourage you to go. And on there's one end, it's just kind of mesmerizing. Abraham Lincoln sitting up in this big old gigantic, I mean, I mean, it's huge. It's gigantic. And then you have the Gettysburg Address right there and his second inaugural address. And you read that right there in that setting. It's very deeply moving. Um, I, I remember our family, Dallas and I, with our three boys, we took them to Gettysburg on July 4th. It's kind of a spiritual experience, a patriotic, I don't, I don't mind telling you, to be there on July 4th. We wanted our kids to understand uh, the cost of freedom and also to have a pride of what it meant to be a citizen of the United States of America. And if you've not figured this out yet, uh, I love America. I'm proud, proud to be an American. I love our history. I love the good. Uh, I even celebrate some of the bad and the lessons that we've learned from it. It's all helped shape who we are. And when the national anthem is played, I'm one of those sappy sort of person that sometimes my eyes get a little misty. I'm just that guy. But I'm also the guy that cannot wait for this election to be over. I am eager for it to be in the rear view mirror for multiple reasons. Even therapists know what's happening. Therapists are getting ready for post-election blues, post-election stress. Not COVID, but all the anxiety, all this building in America, and they're expecting it to pop. It's going to go, pew, and it's preparing for the ugly. And there's a dread about that. So we're doing something this morning that's kind of very unconventional. I can't remember a time where I've done this. Uh, next weekend, before we get there, here's what we're doing. Uh, next weekend, we're starting a new message series. We hope you'll come back if you're new and be a part of that. We're calling it Growing Together. Growing Together. And we're going to talk about what it is to follow Jesus. It's really plain and simple. If you want to follow Jesus, there's a certain way of living if you want to grow. Some people just come and accept Jesus as their Savior, come to church, and they never grow. So we want to give you a plan on how you can really grow, a way of living 
Well, you're going to grow closer and be transformed. It's all about transformation. And one way to do that is to be a part of a small group. So we're inviting people. This is a great on-ramp to be a part of a small group. So every week I'll do a little video. You'll see it in your little small group home to kind of accentuate what we talked about on the weekend. You'll have some deeper conversation and question, and we hope it's really going to be a powerful thing. So this would be a great time this morning if you want to do that. When you exit, or if you're online, just kind of indicate there. We have online groups as well. You want to be a part. But when you, if you're on the campus, you go to the left when you exit the doors. There's some tables there. They'll help you learn, ask some questions about being a part of a small group. But this morning, we're taking a pivot. Uh, last Monday morning, preparing the message that was supposed to be planned for, for this weekend, I felt convicted. What's going on in the world to address this subject matter and calling it uh, Power, Politics, and the 2020 Election. Now, to put some of you at ease off the bat, because I can feel the tension already uh, in the room, I'm not going to tell you how to vote. I'm not going to tell you who to deify. I'm not going to tell you who to demonize. I want us to leave here this morning with a good biblical foundation of how to approach the coming days, 42, 43 days we have left. I want some of us to get a grounding in a biblical theology instead of a political ideology. And to let the Word of God inform us how we go through all this stuff instead of just the partisan politics, whomever you listen to, whoever's making you kind of get all excited or all depressed, whoever that person is. And to really go into it grounded in God's Word. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at th four elections. Three of them are in the Bible. We're going to look at those elections, the outcome of those elections, what they teach us about God, and what can we learn about ourselves? Okay? So that's where we're headed. And before we open this book, let's just go to God. God, I hope you've received our praise and our worship. It's just been off the chain this morning, God. We, we can sense your presence touching our hearts and moving our minds in directions of, of greater things. And so now we open up your, your word, and it's your word, not our word. And God, you know, this, this right here, this, this weekend, this is the fourth time uh, that this message has been shared. But I ask God that you would anoint it and you would make it fresh and new. And you would speak in a way, whatever it is, not what I have prepared, God, what you prepared for the hearts and minds of your people who were here in this service or were online in this service, God. You know where they're hurting. You know where they're confused. You know where there needs to be some correction in their thinking, in their living. Not I, you know. So God, through your word, I, I ask you to do what only you can do and to begin transformation in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now, I, this first election, we've got to be back over here. We're, gonna, we're moving toward uh, 1 Samuel is where we're headed. And I want you to understand, there was a time when Israel, say Israel, this is the original people of God, Israel, lived under direct rule of God himself. There was nobody in between, just God and his people. 
Now, there were some things called judges. Say judges. These were loosely leaders, servant leaders that were put in position to help guide and direct for certain periods of time. But actually, there was a time when Israel lived under the rule and reign of God into something called shalom. Say shalom. This is a very important concept. Shalom is an ideal, a way of living, where you live between compassion and justice. And in between the shalom of compassion and justice, people live in freedom. Freedom to be loved and the freedom to love. Live in safety and security. It's called shalom. God's idea for his people. That's God's plan. And to execute that plan, God gives the Israelites something called the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments give a framework for how to live in shalom. So God gives it to them. And here's where it gets dicey in the Scriptures. The Israelites go, huh, if I accept these Ten Commandments as the law, as the guide for my life, I'm having to say, God, you're my king. Now, I'm not sure how that's going to work. What do I do when an opposing army from the outside comes to enforce its will upon our nation? What about when I myself am having a problem? What if I'm feeling all stressed or anxious? I'm going to have to trust that God is going to take care of it. See, shalom is this idea. It is this idea where people live in this state of being, where everything is well, where families are healthy and whole, where they're taking care of their children and they accept their children and love their children, where their children turn their hearts to their parents. Shalom is this concept and this idea where the culture is beautiful and good and perfect and, and moral instruction is being taught and lived out in the culture. It's where people are practicing the Sabbath. They're not workaholics. They live in this rhythm of worship and work and family and leisure. Worship, work, family, and leisure. It's where people are practicing the tithe as a way of making sure they don't get caught up in consumerism, materialism, to make it all about me and what I want and what I get and what I want to have where they live in a spirit of generosity, where they freely give of themselves to the people living like them in this concept of shalom, of, of moral character and excellence in the way they treat one another. And the Ten Commandments is supposed to do that. And they, but the people go, you know what, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure the Ten Commandments, I want to do that. I'm not so sure. sure. I want God to be the king and ruler over me. And so the people send the elders to this man named Samuel. And the elders of Israel gather, and they say to Samuel in verse 5, hey, you know what? Uh, We want you to appoint a king to lead us just like all the other nations have. Give us a king. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, verse 6, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, 
but they have rejected me as their king. Think about that. God says, they've rejected me as their king. Do you sense the sadness of God that his people have rejected him? They said, we don't want you as our king. They don't want to make Israel great again. It's not about their politics. They're not rejecting you, Samuel. This is a spiritual issue. They're rejecting me. It's not about politics. It's not about government. They're rejecting me. And then he goes on to say, they've been doing this for a long time, ever since I brought them out of Egypt. Every time they raised an idol, they rejected me. Every time they made money, wealth, the primary focus of their life, they rejected me. Every time they ignored the orphan and the widow, every time they turned their back on the poor, every time they condemned or judged the alien, the stranger who came into their land, who did not look like them or talk like them, Every time they refuse to live within the healthy sexual boundaries that I laid out in my word. Every time they've nurtured resentment and held a grudge against somebody. They rejected me. As their king. Verse 9, I want you to listen to them. But warn them solemnly, God says, and let them know that what the king will reign over them will do. Let them know what, the, let them know what a king will do. And so Samuel does. Down there in verse 11, he says, hey, this king, he'll take your sons. He'll make them serve in his military forces. Verse 13, he'll take your daughters, make them perfumers, cooks, and bakers. Verse 14, He'll take the best of your fields, your vineyards, your olive groves. Verse 15, he'll take a tenth of your grain. He'll take your female servants, the best of your cattle. Verse 17, he will take a tenth of your flocks, and you yourselves will become his slaves. You will be slaves to the king. And when that day comes... You will cry out for relief from the king that you have chosen, but the Lord will not answer you on that day. So here's the first election if you're taking notes. You got God or a human political king. Who do you want? You got to make a choice. You got to vote. Who do you want? You want God to be your king? You want a human political king? You got to choose, Israel. And the verdict's out. I can just picture Jesus going, God going, okay, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder if they're going to remember. I wonder if they're going to remember. I wonder if they're going to remember before they ever became a nation, before they ever existed. But I called out Abraham and Sarah when they were beyond child rearing, beyond the ability to conceive, and I gave them a child named Isaac. And I told them through him, I would make your nation great. Will they remember? 
when they were slaves in Egypt that I freed them? Will they remember when they wandered around the desert, felt like they were going nowhere, that I was always with them, a pillar of fire by night, a pillar of smoke by day? Will they remember? Will they remember I took them up to Mount Sinai and I said, I love you as I gave them the Ten Commandments as a way of living and loving healthy relationships? Will they do that? Will they remember when they were hungry that I fed them manna from heaven every single day? day will they remember they don't they vote verse 19 the people refuse to listen to Samuel no we want a king and when that day comes it says uh, we, 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 we want a king then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and go out before us and fight our battle. So God loses the first election because they want the high aspirations. We want to be just like all the other nations. You ever said that, kids, students? I just want to be like them. I want to have, life, have a life like them. Well, I just want to be like them. That's pretty low aspirations is to be like everybody else. When Samuel heard what the people said, he repeated it to God. And God said, verse 22, all right, listen to him. Give him a king. Now, let me tell you something I've learned in my life. I have learned that if I will not receive what God wants to give me, God will give me what I say that I want. You want to go down that road? Go for it. You want to have that attitude? Go ahead. Have it. You want to have that mindset? Go for it. You want to live that way? You want to be involved in that kind of relationship? Go for it. You want to live your life any way you want to? Go ahead. You want to have a king? Someone to rule over you? Go for it. And so they do. They say, we want a king. And then he says, everyone, go back to your own town. And they do. Now, let me tell you what's going on here. A little biblical point. Everyone go back to your own town. That is an Old Testament language that says that's the end of that story. All he's saying is, biblically, prophetically, literally, hey, everyone go back. It's the end of the story. Remember the movie Forrest Gump? Some of you saw Forrest Gump? And when he got finished with the story, he would tell all these stories, right? Story. And when he got to the end of the story, he would say, that's all I have to say about that. This is the Bible's way of saying, that's all I have to say about that, the end. That's all they said. So anytime you see that in the Bible, you kind of know that means that's the end of that. Okay? 
they go back to their hometown, and they all had their kings. Some were good, some were better, some were worse, but every single king made a mess of things. Can I make sure everybody understands? That's the way politics works. Political kings always make a mess of things. Political leaders, because they are human, just like you and me, politics always is messy and ugly. Politics will never bring about shalom. It will never bring about the transformation of minds and hearts that's needed for the world to live like God intended. Never will, never could happen. So let me make a little point here. The political arena is a very important arena. Before we leave here, I hope you understand that. But the political arena is not the ultimate arena. There's a little book that was written in 2010 by a man named James Hunter. It's called To Change the World, a sociologist. And all his research and studies of civilizations, this is what he found. That when a civilization, a nation, or a country, or a group of people is fractured, are we fractured? We're fractured. When they are polarized, are we polarized? We are polarized. He says, this is what's happened. History and research shows it. Everybody clamors for political power. We got to get our guy in power. We got to get our gal in power. We got to get our people in power. Because if we can get them in power, they can change the laws that will coerce and bring about change. They can bring about the policy to make people live the way we think they need to be living so we all live in shalom. If you are someone that believes that political power is the way to bring about the change that is needed in the United States of America or anywhere in the world. You're in direct conflict with the teachings of Scripture and the life of Jesus Christ himself. Because Israel, they suffered under every king that they had, good and bad. They suffered. They struggled. Eventually, the kingdom falls and they're subject to foreign kings. That's just the way kings go, and presidents too. So Israel finds himself in this mess, and God uh, does not forget them. God's going to make another run at them. And so this rumor starts to spread of another possible election. And it begins in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And here's what the prophet says. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, verse 7, of the greatness of his government and peace, there'll be no end. The next line, he will rule over his kingdom. Last line, verse 7. The zeal of the Almighty Lord will accomplish all of this. So now there's an idea. Huh, there's an idea. A rumor being spread. 
that one day, one day, one day, one day, a child's going to be born. One day a child's going to be born. One day a son is going to be given. Somebody tell me, what's his name? Jesus. And the Scripture says the government will be on his shoulder and his kingdom he will rule over will have no end. So here in the Bible, we see the beginning of the second election. We're moving toward the second election. And the campaign, first of all, is about Jesus. Now, every good campaign has to have a slogan, right? Every good political campaign, they have a slogan. If you're in the house and you're old enough to remember uh, Dwight David Eisenhower, his campaign was, I like Ike. Very simple. That was his campaign slogan. Uh, the second term of Obama's was very, very catchy. Yes, we can. That was it. Just yes, we can. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. That was it. Trump's, everybody knows that. Make America great again. Anybody know what Jesus' campaign slogan was? The kingdom of God is here. That's it. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is available right now to you. It's here. That was his campaign slogan. Now, this is a very different sort of campaign. He had no super PAC. He had no ads all over the place popping up all over TV and no rotary phone calls to people's houses. No sending pigeons, vote for me, vote for me, vote for me, you know. There was no campaign headquarters. The Bible says Jesus had no place to lay his head. There was no big campaign fund chest. Jesus had zero money on his person. He gave all his money away. Jesus did not try to crush his opponents. In fact, he forgave them. Jesus did not cite the polls of who was for him, who was for him. I'm going to win. I'm going to win. Put it, I'm going to win. I'm going to win. In fact, Jesus said, I'm going to lose. Over in Matthew chapter 18, Matthew chapter 16, this is how I read it. That one Sunday morning, Jesus decides to go on Chris Wallace, Fox News on Sunday, on the evening, go on CNN, excuse me, go on 60 Minutes with Anderson Cooper, and he tells them both, hey, I want to tell you, uh, the religious and political leaders, I'm going to suffer because of them. They're going to try to do harm to me. They're going to try, they're, they're just gonna, I'm going to suffer because of them. They're going to come after me. And Peter, his self-appointed campaign manager, Jesus, says, Jesus, you can't talk like that. So he goes on Fox News and on 60 Minutes that evening and says, listen, Jesus didn't mean it. I let, let me correct what he really meant. We, don't, we never hear that in politics, right? Here's what he really meant to say. He really meant to say that life is short. We're all going to die. You just got to go live the best you can because we all are going through hard times. And Jesus said, get behind me, Peter. That's not what I said. In fact, let me tell you the truth. Let me make it clear. I'm going to die. They're going to kill me. Those political people are going to kill me. And if you want to vote for me, you might have to do a little dying yourself. 
Why were they going to kill him? Because they were threatened by his power. Listen, that's always the case. You do know this, don't you? Human power is always threatened by somebody else's power. That is exactly why the church can never be connected, invaded, or captive by any kind of political power itself. It's destructive. It's always threatened by other power. Now, the most powerful man at this time, political figure that Jesus had to deal with in this day was a man named Pilate over in John chapter 18. Pilate brings, Jesus gets brought before Pilate, this political figure, most powerful person there. And he asks him a question. He says, Jesus, verse 33, are you king of the Jews? Are you king? That's a loaded question. It's a political question. You need to know this. This right here is the most politically charged chapter in the Bible. If you want to talk, you're a person who likes politics, here it is right here in this chapter. This is all about politics. Because that question is asking, are you the next Herod the Great? You see, when Jesus was small, the Roman Senate said Herod the Great is the king of the Jews because he had all the political influence over the Jews. And so he's asking him, are you going to be the next Herod the Great? Now, verse 36, Jesus gives the most political response you'll ever see in the Bible. Here it comes. My kingdom is not of this world. Don't even try to connect my kingdom to your partisan politics. Don't say my kingdom is a part of what you're doing. My kingdom operates totally different than your own little political thing that you're bought up in and trying to do in your power. Totally different. And here's how it's different. He says in the next sentence, if, it were, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. My followers will be taking up arms and swords and chariots in the street. They would be rioting. They'd be burning stuff down. They'd be trying to destroy people. They'd be posting on social media, bringing, destroying the reputations of other people. That's what they would be doing because that's what the power, political powers of the world do. But he says, my kingdom is not of this world. My guys aren't doing that. And so Pilate, not giving up, he said, verse 37, so you are a king then. So you're really a king. Well, not, not like what you think. Totally different than what you think. And here's where the second election comes into play in the Bible. To understand this second election, you've got to know the context of John chapter 18. It's the time of the Passover. Picture July 4th. I love July 4th. Patriotic, celebrating our freedom, our independence. Man, it's just a blast. I mean, just kind of commit all that we've done to get to where we are. But imagine, imagine you're celebrating July 4th, and we have now been occupied by China. And so you're celebrating what happened, and you're hoping for what's going to happen, right? Isn't that right? 
Because you're hoping freedom's going to come again. Isn't that right? Israel celebrating Passover, deliverance out of Egypt, occupied by Rome, hoping to be delivered. So the emperor, the president, the king, wants to be thought of as a good guy. I'll tell you what I'm going to do, people. I'm going to pardon. I'm going to pardon somebody. That's what people like to do, right? To, hey, I'm a good guy. I got a heart. I'm going to pardon somebody. So I'm going to give you a choice. I'll give you Jesus or I'll give you Barabbas. That's the second election. You can choose Jesus. You can choose Barabbas. Which one do you want to vote for? Which one do you want? Now, who is Barabbas? Barabbas is kind of an unknown, forgotten leader, thug, criminal of an underground movement to undermine the Roman authorities. He was very rebellious. He killed Romans. And so I can just imagine Jesus going, man, I wonder who they're going to pick. Who will they choose? Will they remember? Will they remember who I am? Will they remember that I'm one of them? That I was born to Mary and Joseph? Will they remember that I taught them, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are the meek, blessed are the pure in heart? Will they remember my teaching? If someone slapped you on one cheek that you turned the other cheek, will they remember? Will they remember when the political people and the religious folks said, get these children out of here, that I took their children and I held their children in my arms and I put my hands upon them and I blessed them? Will they remember that I sat down with tax collectors and sinners and I came and forgave prostitutes and the people that were on drugs and the people that were hurt. I came alongside of them and exalted them and helped them heal and set them free. Will they remember? They don't. Who do you want? They said, no, we don't want Jesus. Verse 40, give us Barabbas. Give us the guy that kills Romans. Give us the guy that will crush the opposition. Give us the person that will destroy the person who's voting against us. Give us that guy. So Pilate says, well, here he is. What should I do with him? Crucify him. Put him on a cross. Kill him. And they did. And Jesus knew that they would. Now, here's what I think is fascinating, church. The very thing that made Jesus a loser in the kingdom of the world is the very thing that made him great in the kingdom of God. Amazing. So fascinating. And you and I, if you say you're a follower of Jesus... You are a citizen of the kingdom of God more than you are the kingdom of this world. And if you want to be great, we've got to be like Jesus. And the Apostle Paul gives us this idea of what it is to be like Jesus. Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 5. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, 
did not consider equality with God as something to be used to his own advantage, but he made himself nothing. What political candidate does that? He took on the nature of a servant. What president does that? What political party does that? He humbled himself and be humbled himself. What great CEO leader of a nation does that? He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Now, I want to make sure you understand what's happening here. Jesus, God himself, goes from here and goes to the lowest position on earth. He, he emptied himself and became a servant to the lowest of the lows. You got the king and you got the lowest of the lows. And because of that gap, there is the reason for the third election. It's a very unusual election. Here it comes. Verse 9. Therefore, God exalted Jesus to the highest place. The lowest of lows to the highest of highs and gave him the name, the name, not a name, the name that is above every name. That the name of Jesus, every president, every CEO, every candidate should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth, in every tongue, Every Democratic tongue, every Republican tongue, every independent tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father, He is the commander-in-chief of His people. He is king, and He only is king. That's it. Church, this is a very unusual election. It's not like the others, one and two. There's only one candidate. In your notes, if you want to write it down, Jesus is Lord of heaven and earth. That's the candidate, Jesus. That's, that's the, what you're voting on. And you don't even get a vote. There's one candidate, Jesus. There's one platform, shalom for my people. There's one precinct, eternity. And there's one voter, God. God cast the one and only vote. And on the third day, after he was crucified, the results are in. We can predict a winner. The winner is Jesus Christ because God raised him from the dead. He seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule, all authority, all power, all political parties, all dominions, every name that is evoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. He is our commander-in-chief, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, period. And that leads to the last election, which is a very different election, and it takes place in your heart, God or me. you got to make the decision. Who is king and ruler over your life? Who is it? And God's going to tell you what he told Israel. Israel, here's what you can do. If you want to put your ego on the throne, go for it. If you want to be in charge of your life, go for it. You think it's your life, you can do what you want with it, go for it. You want to make your money all about you, do it. If you want all the applause, all the fame, all the, if you want your life to go up like this, go for it. 
I'll give you one word for it. One word. One word to describe that life. It's called hell. It's called dysfunction. It's called a mess. Because that's life without me in the middle. And without me in the middle, it's a mess. But if you say yes to me as your king, if you kneel, if you bend your knee and you bow your head and you say, Jesus, I want you to be the king of my heart. You become a citizen of the kingdom of God, which is forever. And though you're a citizen on earth, you're really an alien. And your identity is not as a Republican. It is not as an American. It is not as a Democrat. You're identity as a citizen of the kingdom of God, as a child of the king, Jesus Christ himself, period. Now, on this earth, we've got to participate. We do. So I'm going to give you three quick things, and I'm going to let you go. Here's the first one. Here's three quick things to participate as like this in this election. First of all, uh, be involved. Be involved. Vote. Be, be, be a part of the process. Learn. Know the candidates. Know the issues. Read. Study. Know the news. Keep up. Try to discern what's going on. And then I want you to vote. I want to stand up here and tell you this morning, if you don't vote, it's a sin. But I can't tell you that because in the Bible it doesn't say if you don't vote, it's a sin. So I can't say that. But here's what I can say. I can ask a question. In the Bible, I think it says in James 4, 17, it says, if anyone knows what is good and they don't do it, it is a sin. That's what the Bible says, James 4, 17. So let me ask you. Living in the greatest nation on the face of the earth where hundreds of thousands of people have died that we might be free and be able to vote when many nations can't vote, is voting a good thing? And didn't the Bible say, if you know a good thing and you don't do it, it's a what? Just saying. That's all I have to say about that. Don't be whining and complaining and griping. I know politics are messy. They're fallible human beings, but don't let that be your excuse. Well, I'm just not going to participate. It doesn't make any difference. No, it makes a difference. Vote. Be involved. God has ordained all government. So be a part of it. Second thing is uh, be civil. This is civil government. Be civil. Uh, why do we get to the point of judging someone's character by their political ideology? Someone's a good or a bad person based on who they vote for. That's garbage. Where does anybody get off on just demeaning someone because of how they vote and who they vote for? What measures a good person is the character of Jesus Christ, not how they vote. We're measured against the standard of Jesus, not against the standard of who you vote for. So let's be civil. In fact, I would encourage you to pray for everyone that's running for office. Pray for both sides. Pray for everybody. I don't care if you're voting for them or against them. In fact, Paul suggests that. And he writes this letter to, to Timothy in chapter 2 of one of his letters. And he says, I want you to vote for all kings and all kingdoms and all authorities, all the positions of government. Pray for them, he says. Pray for them. You know when he wrote that? You know who was in kingship? It was Nero. Who put Paul in prison when he wrote this? Nero. Nero's going to kill him. But he said, I want you to pray for him. Pray for your enemies. Love your enemies, the Bible says. So be civil. And if that means you've got to go home now, 
and get on your computer and take off some post you put on social media because it was full of hatred and evil and betrayal and just kind of demeaning how bad somebody else is, I'm going to ask you to go take it down. In the name of Jesus Christ, I'm asking you to go take it down. Because that's not who we are as followers of Jesus in this church. We're not doing that. And if that means you got an email that you've been passing, you've been forwarding all these emails, all these political emails, and all, I'm just going to ask you to please consider stopping and issue an apology for some. I'm sorry, I got caught up in this. Because that's not followers of Jesus. Be civil. Be courageous. Be bold. Bold. Be involved. Speak up. Be civil. And here's the last one. Be confident. Be confident. Be confident. Can, can, can I give you a little heads up here, just so you know? Some of you are so worried about what the outcome, if this happens or that happens, you're so worried. Oh, no. Can I tell you, God's not worried. God's not going, oh, my gosh, I wonder what's going to happen down there. I just wonder who's going to win or what happens if he wins and what happens if they win. Oh, it's going to go awful to hell with a hamper. It's going to be so awful. Really? In the history of eternity, and all the planets in the universe, and the billions of people that have lived, one little nation, one little four-year period, one little president, and God, God's not worried at all. Presidents come and go. Have you noticed? Elections come every four years, sometimes every two years, depending. Political things, they ebb and flow, they ebb and flow. Nations rise and nations fall. But the kingdom of God is the same yesterday today and tomorrow and Jesus Christ is commander in chief and it is forever be confident in that no human king or president be involved be civil but please be confident that God's got So, God, we pray for our nation. It's a wonderful place, God. You have blessed it. You have been good to us. You have been generous. We have felt your hand upon us. But, God, we are also pretty fractured. Uh, We're pretty messed up. We're scarred. We've turned against each other in many ways. And our political systems, as great as they are, this power thing has caused a lot of issues. And it's even impacting us, how we live and how we treat each other and how we love each other and how we don't love each other, God. So we we pray for healing, God. We pray for shalom. Your idea, God. We pray for those that are in positions of leadership and those that are running for leadership. They would know your presence, God. And we know they are fallible human beings. They are broken, messed up, just like us. They are no different than us. No different, God. But they're in positions of authority and responsibility, God. And we know they're all trying to do their best. But, God, there's something about that power thing when you get it that sometimes it gets skewed. And 
So we ask for you to rule in their hearts and their lives, God, that they would submit themselves to you, and not just to their political party, God, but to you, that you would be the king of their heart. And you would give us a confidence, God, that regardless of the outcome of this election, that you've got this. But God, more importantly, with anyone who can now hear my voice, whether in real time or recorded later on, online or in the house, I pray that you'll become the king and the ruler of their hearts. That you would be king over our families. That you would rule with your idea of shalom over our parenting. Over how we run and lead our businesses. How we talk about our politics and talk about our nation. That you would help us participate, God, in this thing called life in this United States of America in such a way that people will know that we are your kingdom. We are your citizens. We are your disciples. By the way, we love and treat one another. In the name of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, our Commander-in-Chief, Jesus the Christ. I pray. Amen. Amen. Whew. Thank you for coming. Thank you for enduring that. Uh, get you some dirt before you leave. And uh, we'll see you next weekend, right? Okay, bye.